Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. This is MPB News. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Thursday, October 23rd. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, voter advocacy groups respond to a federal ruling opening a door to curbside voting and the opportunity to cure rejected ballots. Then, as the election draws closer, the arguments for and against Initiative 65 are being amplified. Plus, in today's book club, stories from 125 years of Ole Miss football. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Voting rights advocates say they're chipping away at Mississippi laws that restrict voting in Mississippi. The Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights Under Law filed a lawsuit to expand absentee voting during the coronavirus pandemic. The case was dismissed, but not without agreed provisions from the Secretary of State's office, including curbside Election Day voting and the chance to cure rejected ballots. Attorney Jennifer Wachuku tells our Desiree Frazier the case yielded some positive results. We and our clients are uh, very happy with the outcome of the case. Um, In Mississippi and all across the country, there are countless voters that are relying on absentee ballots in order to be able to participate in this year's election, and it's critically important that they're not only able to cast their ballots in a way that is safe, but also uh, for their ballots to be counted. And this notice and cure process gives voters an opportunity to make sure that after they've cast their ballot, if there are any issues that need to be resolved, that they have the opportunity to do so to make sure that their ballot is counted. And we are very glad that we were able to make sure that Mississippians have these processes in place. The uh, Secretary of State's office also agreed to expanding curbside voting. Uh, How will that work? What will be the uh, requirements to vote curbside? So the curbside voting process 
is for voters who have had significant exposure to COVID-19 or who are exhibiting symptoms of COVID-19 to give them an opportunity to be able to cast their ballot as well, um, which is incredibly important. This process, if voters um, do opt to use curbside voting, um, poll managers will um, bring the, the poll book um, and the receipt book and a ballot or the voting device to the voter, to their car, um, or to an open area outside of the polling place that's away from any other voters at that polling place in order for them to cast their ballot. But still, we're not seeing absentee voting expanded in the state. Uh, In terms of the broader population of Mississippians, The process with curbside voting um, does allow for more uh, Mississippians to be able to cast their ballot um, through this curbside process. Um, So that is an option that is available to voters, again, who are displaying symptoms of COVID-19. What does it mean? Would you explain dismissed without prejudice? Because that was the, the outcome. Yes. So that means that um, the case has been resolved and it, with prejudice, or excuse me, without prejudice, means that if there is need to reopen the case for any reason, um, then there will be an opportunity for the parties uh, to be able to refile another lawsuit on those issues. Jennifer Watuku, we thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us. Thank you. Thank you. The case was dismissed with many current absentee voting rules remaining in place. Corey Wiggins is with the state NAACP, a plaintiff in the case. He says the concessions from this case are small steps in the continued fight to expand access to voting. Honestly, uh, I think that as it relates to voting and access to the ballot in Mississippi, we still have a long way to go. Um, we are, uh, um, I would say that we, we, we sort of look at what has happened as a step in the right direction, while it's not where we want it to be. Uh, we do believe that Mississippians should be able to vote early. Uh, we do believe uh, that folks are able to to not only just because right now, you know, we have to have these different causes to be able to absentee to vote by absentee, uh, but that opportunity should be available to all Mississippians. So, yes, we're we're disappointed uh, that we didn't get all the way where we should be and want to be. Uh, however, we are uh, uh, excited or we are uh, happy that some step was taken toward that direction uh, to be able to protect uh, the health of our citizens, while at the same time making voting more available to, to our citizens here in Mississippi as well. Another step forward from your point of view, I would assume, would be having the opportunity for voters to correct a signature issue, because in the past they were just rejected. But under this lawsuit, it was agreed upon that those changes could be made. Yes. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, absentee voting uh, has always been a point of contention. 
uh, particularly when you have folks who are who are kicking out ballots uh, and folks' votes aren't being counted. Counted. So it, it it has always been something that we've worked on over the past couple of years. We even filed a lawsuit back in 2018 regarding the absentee voting process here in Mississippi, and it's something that we have to continue to work on. Uh, it's, it's, you know, we say often in talking about Mississippi and Mississippi really being at the forefront of the center around the fight for voting rights, uh, where we're constantly pushing back against a culture that is that is designed on limiting uh, voter participation. Uh, and because of that, that sort of culture has been baked into our processes of voting and, and public policy. And that's something that we continue to chip away with, whether it's through, you know, advancing and advocacy around legislation or filing lawsuits against the state to ensure that everybody can vote. Is there anything about this issue that's important to point out that I didn't ask you? Well, I think this, look, you know, at the end of the day, uh, while we as an organization and other our our legal partners and other groups are continuing to fight to make sure that Mississippians vote. Uh, what's vitally important is that Mississippians do go vote, uh, that we continue to remind and encourage citizens to participate in the democracy, to go out and vote, to participate in, in these elections this year and every election to have your voice, your voice heard. So even as we continue to fight issues around voting, voting rights and voter suppression, uh, people shouldn't be discouraged. Uh, from voting, uh, and we encourage people to go and vote. Corey Wiggins, Executive Director of the NAACP of Mississippi, thank you so much for your time and speaking with us. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you. Coming up, as the election draws closer, the arguments for and against Initiative 65 are heating up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Allison Walker, the lady auto mechanic, host of AutoCorrect. If you're enjoying this podcast, try my podcast, AutoCorrect. We help steer you in the right direction with your car problems. Find me on any podcast platform or at autocorrect.mpbonline.org. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. The debate over if and how Mississippi will legalize medical marijuana is heating up. This week, coalitions on both sides of the issue went public with efforts to make their voices heard. Ballot Initiative 65, if passed, would make medical marijuana legal for 22 debilitating conditions, including cancer and seizures. One Mississippi coalition is working to prevent the referendum from passing, holding a virtual press conference earlier this week with prominent opponents of 65. The group includes Republican House member Jill Ford of Madison. As a freshman member of the House of Representatives, I've had the unique opportunity to witness history when our state flag was changed just a matter of days. Now, the reason I bring this up to you today is because we hear those proponents of 65 saying that the time has passed on the legislature addressing this issue. They say that 20 bills have been introduced and gone nowhere, but I want you to think about something for a moment. Something of this magnitude and this consequential should not be taken lightly. And it certainly should not be approached with the reckless abandon the proponents of 65 seem to have when it comes to our state's constitution. I saw firsthand the legislature responded to the public outcry to change our state's flag, and we acted swiftly. We have no reason to believe that the issues concerning the establishment of a marijuana program for medical use in Mississippi would be any different 
than our response to the state flag. Also participating in the conference was Vicksburg Mayor George Flags. He claims big business from outside the state or behind Initiative 65. I'm told that it's a $14 billion business. Now, who would want a $14 billion business coming into the state at a time when we're losing revenues at the municipal level, at the county level, at the state level as it relates to this COVID virus um, and exempt it from going into our school roads and first responders and all the things we fund a state government in. So that's one of the, another reason because I'm a physical conservative person. I be, believe in being physically responsible, and I think we ought to be able to balance the budget with all the money, not exempting uh, a $14 billion industry from not having to uh, put money into uh, the state coffers. The other thing is that under Initiative 65, the state health department would administer the program with user fees, leaving no tax revenue for the state. Proponents for the referendum are also speaking out. Yesterday, members of law enforcement and the military gathered in Jackson. Jonathan Brown served in the Air Force and says marijuana can help with post-traumatic stress and chronic pain. I'm also here for the Army Infantry veteran I know from Corinth who did multiple tours and multiple theaters and missed multiple babies being born. I'm here for the gentleman I met at the VA a few years back who when he returned to his home state of Mississippi from Vietnam, he was spat on because he was a black man. And I'm here for the friends of mine that actually gave limbs up in defense of their country who came back as amputees. See, all these veterans did their duty They honored their oath and they served. But we now know that not all the wounds of war are physical wounds. Um, A wise man once observed that we've had a lot of words in uh, American history for this combat condition. Uh, Back in the day, we called it shell shock. And then that changed to battle fatigue. And then we started calling it operational exhaustion. Now we know it as post-traumatic stress. The combat condition is the same, though, throughout the symptoms of which can be unbearable in daily life. And we're learning more and more about its causes, specifically the cause of moral injury when someone was raised right with ethics and morals and they were asked to do things that controverted them. But I'm not just here for veterans either. There are so many other debilitating medical conditions that can be helped by medical marijuana from the children who are suffering from seizures from people who are recovering from cancer, like my dad, or people like my papa who are suffering from Alzheimer's disease, for which we know there is good evidence to support that medical marijuana can not only help Alzheimer's patients regain old memories, but to build new ones. It's truly miraculous. The event was headlined by former law enforcement officer Ronnie Pollard. He tells our Desiree Frazier his daughter's personal journey changed his position on medical marijuana. Well, if you would have asked me that question about three years ago, I would have told you uh, that I don't support any type, you know, of legalization of any type of marijuana. But in 2017, my daughter was diagnosed with leukemia and had to go through a stem cell transplant, uh, had a relapse on her 33rd birthday in 2018. My wife and I ended up at MD Anderson with her uh, to try to fight this leukemia. And... Uh, while we were there waiting for treatments to start and all that, uh, the blasts in her blood for leukemia were up around eight. 
And my wife came to me and said, we need to order this CBD oil. It's got THC in it. And, of course, I told her, uh, I said, you know, we can't order THC over the, you know, through the mail. We'd, we would be arrested. And uh, so she said, no, this is the legal limits of THC for all of the states. And uh, I said, well, it won't hurt to try for sure. So we ordered it, put it under her tongue three times a day for two weeks, and the blast in her blood went from eight to three, and uh, which just really um, amazed me. So when we went to her doctor's visit at MD Anderson, I said, what's your opinion of marijuana and cancer? And she said, well, you know, we can't uh, we can't tell you to do that because it's illegal. And I said, I understand. I'm not asking that. I'm just want to know what your opinion is, because you're the number one cancer research hospital in the world. And she looked at me and as we're walking out of the room, basically off the record, she says, I would never discourage any cancer patient from doing marijuana. So that spoke volumes to me right there, and it's and it opened my mind to start reprogramming myself of maybe this is not what the way I was raised. Maybe it's not just bad. Maybe you're not just a pothead if you smoke it or if you take it or if you, you know, whatever means you take to get it in your system. So I started doing lots of research on it. I had to reprogram myself that marijuana is not bad. It can, it can be used for good. It can help people. It can give people relief. How do you feel about it being in the Constitution, the uh, Initiative 65? I am absolutely fine with it being in the Constitution. And the reason I say that is because of the Harper Grace Law that was passed in 2014. In 2014, the state legislatures passed uh, a law and even named it after Harper Grace. And they've tied it up in red tape from 2014 to today. And Harper Grace still has not received any of her meds that they approved for her back in 2014. Also, the legislature has had over 20 years to do some research and to pass something, you know, for the people, for the people that need this in a medical sense and do it however they wanted to. And they've never, they haven't acted on it uh, in 20 years. And that's concerning to me. Any concerns about it being an all-cash business that could conceivably lead to maybe selling some of this product on the black market? I'm not concerned about it being an all-cash business or not. I mean, grocery stores take in tons of cash. Uh, little side markets, uh, you know, in your street corners, mom and pops, groceries, they take in tons of cash. I mean, there's there's guidelines there. There's uh, audits that can be done. There's uh, there's there's ways that you know that all that can be done, and those businesses will pay taxes. You know that they're not tax exempt. The biggest uh, the biggest thing that concerns me again is the fact that we're wanting to tax people, you know, and uh, people that are sick, and that's what that's what I'm just really having a hard time. You know, I hear that argument a lot. I also hear the argument that, you know, what are we going to do when the caregivers, it's taking care of people, uh, you know, with medical marijuana cards. What are we going to do when they actually take that horrible drug to the streets? And I'm sitting here scratching my head thinking, what are you going to do when they pick up your uh, your morphine and your opioids and your sleeping pills and they take those to the streets? Well, they're going to be arrested if they're caught. It's the same thing with marijuana, with the medical marijuana. They will be arrested if they're caught doing that. 
Well, Ronnie Pollitt, we really appreciate your time in speaking with us, and thank you for sharing your story. Yes, thank you for giving me the opportunity. Voters will choose between two medical marijuana initiatives on the November ballot, Initiative 65 or Alternative Measure 65A. Coming up in today's book club, stories from 125 years of Ole Miss football. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. If you're a parent on the go, but still want to stay informed about your children's education, subscribe to Mississippi Education Connections podcast and listen on the go anytime, anywhere on your favorite podcast app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. The University of Mississippi has a long and storied history of its football teams and coaches. A year ago, publisher and editor Neil White, along with Rick Cleveland and other writers, gathered together hundreds of tales for the book, Stories from 125 Years of Ole Miss Football, The Ten Greatest Victories, The Ten Most Disappointing Defeats, The Undefeated Season No One Remembers, and, as Cleveland details, the coach who got his team drunk during the game. It was an Ole Miss State game that was played at the old fairgrounds in Jackson, and the coach, it was a real cold, wet day, so he had in their coffee on the sidelines, he spiked it, whiskey. And needless to say, they got drunk, they got beat, and after the game, they asked the coach if he was going back to Oxford with the team. He said no, he wasn't, and he hoped he never saw him again. It was the last game he ever coached at Ole Miss. There was an NFL player who was part of the greatest Ole Miss team ever. Tell us about him. Well, Larry Grantham, he was a linebacker and defensive end. He played in at Ole Miss and then played linebacker for the New York Jets and actually was in the AFL for most of his career. After his junior year, I believe it was his junior year at Ole Miss, he actually robbed his teammates at the locker room of the Gator Bowl. They played in the Gator Bowl that year. Some of the players got back to their lockers and started looking around, and they either had rings, watches, wallets, cash missing from their lockers. When they looked around, Grantham wasn't there. It turns out he took the stuff. And then the next year, Grantham and his daddy show up and... John Vault, the Ole Miss coach, brings him into the locker room for a team meeting. The daddy speaks first and says the son knows there of his ways and has given his life over to Christ. And then the player gets up and says how sorry he is. And then Vault speaks and tells the team it's up to them whether or not to take him back. Vault leaves the room. And Charlie Flowers, who was one of the greatest Ole Miss players of all time, Flowers gets up and talks about what a sorry thing Grantham had done. And then he said, but you know, he's our best defensive player and he makes us a much better team. And they take the vote and they vote to take him back. And he really was one of the greatest defensive players of all time. On that 1959 team, it did not give up a touchdown drive the entire season. Had it not been for Billy Cannon's 89-yard punt return, that old Miss team might be widely regarded as the greatest college football team in history, and Grantham was the best defensive player on the team. It isn't the type of book you sit down and read. You can 
go to parts that you want to read about different periods of time or different players, different moments in Ole Miss football? Is that how you would yeah, read it? A- absolutely. There are profiles of many different players. There are even vignettes about strategy coaches took and whether it was right or wrong. Mississippi State University and Ole Miss, of course, had this fierce competition. Are there any stories surrounding that? And is Ole Miss always the victor in these stories? Well, no. Um, in fact, the one that we talked about earlier was a Mississippi State Ole Miss game where the Ole Miss coach spiked the coffee urn on the sidelines. That was uh, back when Ole Miss and Mississippi State played at the Jackson Fairgrounds. They actually rode trains to the game back then. At least the Ole Miss team did. But there's several several Mississippi State Ole Miss stories, and, and not all of them did Ole Miss win. Can we expect any more books, do you know, like Jackson State or Southern or MSU? Well, the same, I, I would say, you know, just from what I know about all the Mississippi schools, there's a book in there for, for somebody to do. Stories from 125 Years of Ole Miss Football. The editor and publisher is Neil White, and we've been speaking with Rick Cleveland, who is one of the contributors to this book. Rick, thank you so much. Thank you, Karen. It's always good to talk to you. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. If you've missed past episodes of the show, or if you simply want to listen again, subscribe to the Mississippi Edition podcast, available on your favorite podcast platform. Stay tuned for a full slate of Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up at 9 o'clock, it's Creature Comforts. Then at 10, it's AutoCorrect. And at 11, stay tuned for Southern Remedy. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 8.30 for the next Mississippi edition, only on MPB Think Radio.